Hello everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. As we, the humans, aim for broader capabilities beyond our intelligence, the rise of artificial intelligence, in short referred to as AI, will most certainly create complex security challenges that will likely be beyond our capabilities to manage. While companies such as Google, Facebook, and Amazon have got into an AI arms race already, it is important to understand the strategic security risk we, the humans, will face in the coming years. The use of AI is not new. From cars to phones to thermostats, emails, and games like checkers and chess have been using basic artificial narrow intelligence, in short referred to as ANI, system for a long time. More advanced ANI systems have also been widely used in sectors and industries like military, manufacturing, and finance. The complex security challenges will hit us when the artificial narrow intelligence ANI reaches artificial general intelligence AGI and then artificial super intelligence, that is ASI. While we, the humans, are yet to create artificial general intelligence, the mere thought of the possibility of artificial superintelligence is causing an alarm across nations. To discuss the rise of artificial intelligence, I'm delighted to welcome Fritz Venter, founder and CEO of Computer Future. Welcome, uh, Fritz. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Hi, Jason. Thank, Thank you for, for inviting me to this session. So let's uh, begin with a very fundamental question, Fritz, for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners who are not familiar with what artificial intelligence is. Can you please explain what artificial intelligence broadly means? Okay, so the initial vision for AI was to develop computing systems that have the same faculties as the human brain. However, soon after its inception in the late 60s, researchers found that it is an immensely tough vision to achieve. So the area underwent a so-called AI winter from the late 70s to the mid-2000s. AI funding reduced drastically and was largely disregarded by the industry as an important area for the future of computing. However, some breakthroughs under less tainted monikers for AI, such as machine learning, computational intelligence, uh, knowledge-based systems, knowledge discovery, and so on, did make their way into the mainstream industry. From the late 2000s until now, these technologies supported by important breakthroughs and immense computing power amassed in data centers of companies like Google and Facebook have become popular again and are also the underpinnings of the hugely popular big data and analytics trends we see today. Also, um, you know, AI uh, as a general term uh, is romanticized by the movies and by uh, uh, you know the entertainment industry, but uh, AI is already in many places uh, that we don't expect it to be, uh, and less great glamorously uh, so. Uh, so, for exa example, um, in uh, in the early days, uh, uh, AI already uh, showed some value when the first auto landing system uh, was developed. So yes, AI is is a very broad topic, uh, but um, uh, it has it has a grand vision, but uh, it has infiltrated the industry almost on in a piecemeal basis as breakthroughs in the research have happened. 
Yes, no, you are absolutely right that artificial intelligence AI is a very broad topic. So can you explain what we are dealing currently when we talk about artificial intelligence with, uh, with reference to the advances that have been made? What are we dealing with? What, are, what should nations, its governments, its industries should be worried about at this point? Um, so AI researchers are often in not interested in directly modeling and simulating the human brain, but in accomplishing complex tasks better, to cheaper, better or cheaper than humans. So uh, uh, these tasks include natural language processing, machine translation, knowledge representation, vision, scene processing, complex pattern recognition, optimization and planning, strategic thinking and game theory, and symbolic reasoning and logic. Uh, so overall, the goals of AI uh, includes the following. Deduction, reasoning, and problem solving, almost like human beings can do that but at a much larger scale. So that's quite alarming uh, for current governments. Knowledge representation, planning and learning. Uh, learning uh, especially uh, is employed today to uh, leverage the enormous amounts of data that have become available uh, from uh, online uh, presences like uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Google and those places. Uh, natural language uh, processing, communication, uh, that's an important area of AI, as it is still important for AI systems to communicate uh, uh, with humans and also to understand human-generated uh, text. Uh, then perception, how do you perceive the world around you? A good example of this is the, the Google car. Uh, if, if you look at some videos that they produced, it's an immense amounts of sensory inputs that uh, the device has to understand and uh, incorporate in its uh, real-time understanding of its environments. Uh, and then motion and manipulation uh, then is, is the outward direction, outward side of AIs where we take our understanding and perception and uh, our learnings and apply it and move things around. Uh, and then long-term goals uh, include social intelligence. Uh, that, um, that is uh, forefronted with research on uh, online data, especially, and, and social network data, and um, how people interact online. Then creativity, even, is how do we, how do we crack the problem of uh, how humans can create and create new things and think up new ideas uh, can we get a machine to do the same, to be creative and to take shortcuts through all the possibilities to get the most efficient uh, solution? And then general intelligence, which is the AGI, obviously, uh, goal, uh, which is also, we, we say these are long-term goals, uh, but there's active research ongoing on this, uh, and it's going to happen, definitely. The different approaches to AI include cybernetics, brain simulation, symbolic AI, sub-symbolic AI, statistical processing, integrating those approaches together, and a whole bunch of tools have emerged. And I'll just touch on one or two more popular ones like neural networks. Uh, and neural networks have been based on the, how the brain works. So um, uh, what they've done there is they increased uh, the number of layers of these of these networks. They call it deep learning now, and that breakthrough has created uh, the ability for systems to now see like human beings. 
uh, and to pursue their surroundings uh, and to process large amounts of uh, numerical data. So yeah, that's that's roughly it's it's a very wide area. We can talk about it forever. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. It's a very wide area. That was good information, Fritz. I'm sure our uh, viewers and uh, listeners are going to benefit from that explanation. Now let's talk briefly about the difference between a robot and an artificial intelligence uh, AI. For the benefit of our viewers and listeners, can you explain what a robot is and what AI is? Because a lot of times you see that people confuse, you know, one from another. They so it would be nice for them to uh, have a good understanding, clear understanding of what we are talking about. Well, in short, the relationship between a robot and AI is that a robot <coughs> needs AI to become useful. So it, it's like a shell. It's a it's an empty. It's like the human body uh, versus the the brain. But depending on what a robot's intended use is, it will need the technology that achieves some of the goals of AI. For example, a robot that needs to navigate the natural environment to aid and in search and rescue missions need the ability to perceive its environment perhaps using computer vision as a part of AI implemented into software and hardware uh, known also as machine vision and it was also needs the ability to plan um, macro and micro tasks such as an, an optimal traversal of the target area and how to avoid nearby obstacles such as trees and plants and rough terrain it also needs the technology that solves the AI goal of motion and manipulation. So it has to move, uh, uh, and this is a in a closed loop cycle with the a with the brain and the the motion actuators. It will need the ability to reason about its environment and learn specific elements of it as it goes. So on the fly, uh, it has to <coughs> learn any additional information that it did not know before it started its mission. Right, and um, it will also need the ability to communicate uh, with the subject of the search and rescue mission once it finds it. So, when it finds a a, a, a person that is maybe hurt, uh, uh, it, it will need some form of natural language processing ability. So, it needs to be able to communicate uh, with the person that it's uh, uh, helping, um, and so. In that sense, we, we need to also include the long-term goals of AI that include social intelligence and or creativity even uh, to to tackle any problems that come along the way uh, that it did not uh, foresee. Yes. So, yes. yeah, so the difference is really uh, uh, AI um, is the is the elements that makes a inanimate mechanical machine uh, work intelligently. Yes, no, that, that was a very good explanation, Fritz. Now, we just talked about ANI, AGI, and ASI, and that, you know, where we are. But uh, based on your observations, because you are in this field and you are working and you are traveling all across nations, what are what are your observations that where are we in terms of advances in ANI, AGI, and ASI? What have you seen across nations that you know gives you confidence at what stage we are? Um, so we are in the. If you talk about where we are in terms of advances in ANI, AGI, and ASI, I think we're still in ANI. Uh, so although the hype would have us think 
that we are in ASI or AGI. Uh, and certainly, uh, there are elements of those that that already, um, you know, is done have been done. But a general statement to say we now reach the point of AGI or ASI, I don't think we're there yet. We're some ways off from from AGI specifically, but um, we strongly on the way there. Uh, I, I don't want to put a timeline on it, but let's say a decade or so away. Oh, wow. That That is very interesting. So for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners, let's talk about how the world is currently running on A&I. Like, as you said, that we are very close to uh, AGI, but until we are there, I, let's have an understanding about um, with examples about where and how we are currently using and experiencing a and i because so far you know a lot of people general public has no idea that you know artificial intelligence is already implemented and it's already working in so many different areas yes. so if you can you know give us some you know background on that yes so um let's give you a few examples uh, in the area of machine learning uh what we currently have, uh, which we can classify as ANI, is that we, we can use machine learning to do predictions uh, based on patterns that we've detected out of his historical data. Uh, so uh, currently, it still requires masses of, of, of amounts of historical data to do that. Uh, and the let's say the learning from small data which humans can do quite well uh, there's some advances in that but i think that's the next frontier uh, that's that's being tackled there are some research happening right now that makes it possible for a machine to learn from very few examples uh, and make uh, predictions from that uh, and i think that's a really really important breakthrough to get beyond a and i and then an actionable uh, analytics, uh, there's another example uh, where um, we can take uh, these models that we've learned from machine learning. So we can see a machine learning model as a, as a black box where we can give it a few uh, inputs and it can predict a certain uh, output like a, uh, a KPI that we want to measure in our company. Uh, so, um, based on that, we can run through this model or this black box and to make decisions based on operations research and machine learning predictions. So, it is like an optimizer that runs on top of what we've uh, achieved from machine learning. And then computer vision and perception, uh, that's, that area has, has gained a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, progress. Uh, so. So companies like Google and Facebook uh, can now recognize faces, expressions, can auto-tag those faces uh, quite accurately. Um, then also area, uh, uh, another area of, of vision is in video processing. And there are companies that can now recognize behaviors uh, in physical security settings. So it can look at somebody walking or doing some action, and it can determine whether this person is fine and it's no problem, or there's an issue. This looks like a burglar, or it looks like this person's about to jump a fence, or this person is aggravated, or is is looking uh, ready to take 
some bad action on, on somebody else or to attack somebody else or to, to do some damage to property. So uh, understanding behaviors, so uh, body language. So computers can, can now achieve that as well. Um, so in, in the area of NLP, which is natural language processing, uh, we have uh, the ability to comprehend text almost like a human being can do, uh, like reading a book and understanding what the, the nuances and the storyline and the important uh, symbolic uh, you know, messages uh, are that we get out of the book. So uh, an area of application of that is to take a, a large amount of documents such as medical researchers uh, would do and um, reading all of that and, and coming with a common set of concepts and important uh, issues to uh, understand from a large corpus like that. So um, machine translation is also another good example of AI. Uh, so Google Translate uh, is quite effective now of translating languages. It's not perfect. It's not at the same level as a linguist, but it's good enough for what we want to do with it. Yes, yes. And um, yeah, and then there are areas like recommendation systems that are very prominent uh, in many technologies online, uh, like in uh, Netflix and online retailers. They, they are very good at recommending what's the best con next content for you based on your past behavior and based on machine learning on large amounts of data that uh, they've done on, on many users. So uh, we also have computer vision that enabled uh, auto automated drones, machine learning on images and sensor data to improve crops uh, and uh, optimization to prove the yield of oil wells and mines. So this, the list goes on. There are many, many areas where ANI is, is live and well and uh, is adding a lot of value. Yes, so it seems that based on what you are telling me that it is very widely used currently. Yes. All across industries. No, that, that's good to know. So now when the intelligence explosion happens, that is ANI to AGI to ASI, what, what do we expect? What are some of the big changes that we would see across nations and across industries especially? I think... Um... Uh, the the intelligence explosion uh, is is probably going to bring in a lot of disruptive effects on on many industries uh, because we can use uh, software and machines to do tasks that uh, we had to pay a lot of money for to hum for humans to do. We will probably see a lot of jobs fall away. Uh, we will probably see a lot of new jobs created because these systems also need to get maintained. Uh, so I, th I think the disruptive effect on, on industry is going to be huge. Uh, we might also see some backlash from, uh, from the point of view of, of labor forces uh, and they might, they might want to counteract this and it's almost like we had way back in the in the start of the nuclear age where whole communities uh, you know protested protested against uh, establishment of nuclear facilities because of its dangers 
so I don't I don't see um, the human being just laying uh, you know you know sitting back and waiting for all of this to happen and displace many people from the jobs. I think there will be a lot of a lot of tension, a lot of uh, conflict in a way. Uh, but I don't think it's it's a, we will be able to stop all those effects. Uh, we, we're just going to need to find out how to manage that. Yes, you are absolutely right. Those will be disruptive changes, and uh, uh, like you said, there will be many job losses. You know, in the low-skilled area, uh, at the same time, there will be job creation in the you know high-skilled area. But uh, across industries and nations, there are going to be very dramatic changes, and I hope that you know nations are keeping an eye on these and they are preparing themselves, especially you know their industries. They are preparing themselves for these coming changes because a lot of industries will collapse and a lot of new industries will be created. So <laughs> these are going to be very disruptive changes. Sorry about that. So we often hear the term singularity or technological singularity. What does that mean with reference to AI? Um, well, well, with respect to AI, it's what it's what the world looks like when computing systems surpass human intelligence, or put differently when the artificial intelligence growth curve reaches its exponential phase. So we're talking about a, a growth curve that's still sort of at the big swing section of, uh, of the curve. But when it goes close to vertical, that's when the singularity is, is happening and um, uh, where, where we find in general that uh, computer intelligence surpasses the general human being. Yes, yes, you are right. Now, uh, like you said that uh, the journey from ANI to A AGI, right? Artificial narrow intelligence to artificial general intelligence, humans will probably achieve them in less than a decade uh, from what you know we are hearing uh, from uh, many people. Now, there are some who believe that if this happens, then machines will be able to do what pretty much all humans are able to do. And if not any, I mean, if not all the work, but most of the work that humans do, they, the machines will be able to do that. So how should, I mean, apart from the impact on the industries and the nations, you know, if we think about just an individual human being, how should any human feel about that? That, you know, pretty much what they are able to do today, that a machine will be able to do that in a, you know, probably a decade. Well, I, I think that um, humans should uh, uh, definitely not be ignorant. That's the first thing that we should state here, that this, this is coming. In fact, a lot of the precursors and the basic pieces of that is already you, you know there today it, it is it is going to come uh, so on the one hand it is very important that humans need to to adapt um, and that is one characteristic of, of the human being that is very very uh, very very strong and separates us from from other species uh, we, we need to know that a lot of change is coming and we need to be knowledgeable about what's coming. I would say that uh, we need to take a lot of this information down into our schools, 
and our children need to start learning about what this is and what it means for them in terms of their career choices and what it means for them uh, in terms of how they should perform and how and uh, it is it is not going to be a, a political system anymore to help you sustain your your way of life it's going to be uh, much stronger competition for you to to be relevant and not to be uh, set aside by some computing systems. Uh, also, I think the, the people in the humanities and in the political sciences need to take a lot more, you know, uh, you know, need, need to take this in mind and start thinking about uh, the political impact of that and how, how do we create a world where, where this new entity that's came to be so disruptive, you know, can be leveraged for its good and how do we uh, reduce the, the negative impact? Yes, no, you are absolutely right. And those are good suggestions. And I hope that each component of a nation, irrespective of, you know, academia or industries or governments, and even individuals, that they all need to pay attention to these changes and how to prepare themselves for the coming changes. So those are good points. Now, uh, Fritz, if machines could even slightly surpass human intellect, they could improve their own designs in ways unforeseen by their designers, that is us, the humans. And thus, they, they can strengthen themselves into far greater intelligence. Uh, the first such improvement might be small, but as the machines become more intelligent, they could self-innovate, uh, which could lead to a surge of self-improvements and a sudden gush towards superintelligence, that is ASI, which everyone is fearing. Now, what are the consequences of intelligence explosion for humans in general, in general, as well as the industries and nations? Because reaching to a point of ASI, where machines would be able to have much more advanced intelligence than we the humans. That possibility, that thought is making a lot of people very nervous that where would we stand as a human species and where would we stand as a nation or as industries? Yeah, um, in, a, in a way uh, that effect has already been seen uh, where we had human beings being the best champions in chess uh, and we we've seen um, computers surpass him with uh, Deep Blue by IBM uh, yeah. more than a decade ago, I think. Um, and we have to we need to uh, you know, accept that reality that the best chess player on the planet is not a human being; it is a computer. Yes. And in many other areas, uh, we already have computers that supersede human beings by far by processing the amounts of data that human being can never, ever, ever process. Uh, so, um, as an example, all the video footage that they uh, get from drones uh, flying all over the world, you know, if it was, if we had a team of humans to try and process that video data to, to analyze it and to find anything important from them, it would take uh, a few lifetimes. But using uh, machines, uh, we can s use the superior capability of those machines to, to process all the videos in a matter of of minutes and hours. Mm -hmm. So we already see areas where machines have surpassed human 
processing capability uh, already. And uh, um, but when it comes to that that super intelligence and the ability to, you know, become the designer of other intelligent systems, I think that the uh, it, the the hype is a little bit overplayed here in a little in a way. Uh, but who knows? It it can still in the, in the wrong hands. It it could still you know become a problem. But the bottom line is that machines don't have intentions. Human beings have intentions. Human beings have built-in uh, uh, features like what they want to achieve in life, and uh, we want to do stuff for com common good. Although there are, are uh, adversaries out there that don't uh, don't want to do that, we still have a world system where we 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 make sure that the good wins over the evil. So. I guess the question is, if machines can become as intelligent uh, and as creative and so on as human beings, will they become evil? And um, I think what's going to happen is you will have both sides. You will have evil machines and machines built by, and evil machines would have been initially built by the, the people that want to dis destroy and uh, want to, you know, Great destruction on the earth. Uh, so we can only be positive and hope that the the positively intended uh, researchers have built machines that will only serve us, and that they will be better than uh, with will have better resources to build better systems than the other side. So I think it's it's become a, a little bit philosophical uh, philosophical over here, but um, it's. It's going to be a fight between good and evil again in terms of what do machines intend? Can they can they ever build a machine that uh, becomes evilly intended just by itself? I don't think that's going to happen. I think it, what's going to happen is that the, the intent of the designer of the initial machine uh, that can design other machines is probably going to remain there and not and not change. Wow, that would be very interesting, you know, good and evil machines and a war between them. That is something uh, to look forward to, how that shapes up. So, just another point that I need to make is that the, the, there are different dimensions that we live in here, and that is that machines live in a world of a, a, a world that we've created. They, they need electricity, they need hardware to run on, they need um, they, they need these plain physical base assets to be uh, to be around. Now the human beings um, uh, can still switch them off. Now, now fantasy may say, "Oh, one day they can switch themselves off and back on again," but there's the realm that we live in that they don't live in. So we're outside; we're in a bigger realm than, than they are. And I'm sure with uh, the right amount of policy and the right amount of, uh, um, you know, human intervention and control, we can control machines just the way that we control nuclear weapons. So nuclear weapons are not proliferated much. There are some rogue countries like North Korea that just want to, you know, break that mold. But uh, we can control 
a lot of bad stuff. And I'm sure if the world thinks about this now and they put their heads together now and they have, com uh, they have enough, you know, interest in this that they can catch the, you know, the situation before it really goes bad. I think it's, it's something that we can come out of uh, uh, without a, a global disaster. Right. No, I mean, I hear your point, but at the same time, uh, Fritz, I think right now machines are dependent on humans for their electricity and uh, for several other things. But uh, as they advance in their capabilities, in their intelligence, when they reach the ASI stage, when they achieve the super intelligence, they may be able to get consciousness. They may be able to figure out all these things that we humans provide to them to get that on their own. And that is the point where we humans should be scared about if they reach that point because then yeah. you know they don't need humans then they are able to uh, they are capable to survive on their own and they will feel that you know humans are not essential uh, and humans are just a distraction so that 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 is a point which you know will yes. be very worrisome yeah. but uh, we we have to continue you know watching what kind of developments what kind of advances yes. and capabilities are happening you know with uh, artificial intelligence and how the machines are able to adapt and how they are able to uh, self advance and you know self innovate yes. and uh, then we will see you know where uh, what will happen Yes, I think the boundary is when we cross uh, to something wider than intelligence. Intelligence is just one facet of human being. Human beings also have other things like emotions and self-consciousness and uh, other facets to, to them that is beyond intelligence. Uh, and as long as we can keep the super intelligence in that space of, of intelligence, in, 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 the, in like the way that, uh, you know, Einstein is very intelligent and uh, we improve on that level and we don't allow them to veer into self-consciousness and into emotions and to um, setting their own goals and what they want to achieve. Uh, that's the line we should be very careful about. Yes, yes. No, you are right. I hear your your point, and I think that's a good analysis. Now, uh, as I mean, we are talking about the intelligence, you know, advances, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, but at the same time, as the as we get more advances from, as we go from ANI to AGI to ASI, there will be impact on humans. Like we just talked about the impact on industries, impact of nations. But we, the humans, we have limited process capability of information processing. So when all these accelerating changes and developments and deployment of new AI technologies happening, there will be an overload on the human mind. And we would not be human mind at the way we are right now, the state we have. We will not be able to cope with that. and. Uh, we will have to it we it has to be probably solved by the use of ever more sophisticated information intelligence which reverse engineers the human brain or we have to probably put a chip in our brain just to give us an ability or capability to be able to go you know to the info to do the information processing to keep up with the advances in artificial intelligence and its impact so is this the right approach and what are the implications? Because if we have to 
enhance server information processing capability or brain capability just so that we can keep up with artificial intelligence where do we go i think it's it's not about keeping up uh, our brains up with what machines can do i think we should see machines as uh, extensions of our capability and it's almost you know if you use an analogy of a company a a CEO alone does not have the ability that a team of people has. So the company's capability is much larger than the single person at the top. But the, the, the person at the top employs different people with different, uh, you know, complementary skills and, and capabilities. And this whole organization, or if you want to generalize to organism, is much more powerful than that simple person would be. So if you take that analogy into what we want to achieve with artificial intelligence, um, we can say that, you know, uh, as a, a uh, uh, company, I can do so much with human beings and be so competitive. But if I add these masses of machine, uh, you know, intelligent entities, then I can do so much more. I can achieve so much more. So it is, it is, you know, uh, you know, in that way that we have to see um, the super intelligence that that uh, we are creating already. Uh, and it's not about wanting to keep up with, uh, you know, the the you know, capabilities of the machine. But how can I use this clever kid in in uh, inverted commas? you know, to do some super stuff, uh, to do achieve much more. So the CEO would not uh, necessarily want to be as clever as, as all these people's uh, uni unified uh, uh, skills and knowledge, but he wants much more clever people than him or her to be uh, 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 working in, his in her organization to achieve uh, much better goals. Yes. So I don't think we want to necessarily put chips in our brains to so that we can you know compete with these machines and be as intelligent as them i think we want to use the super intelligence that we create in machines uh to the benefits of whatever our goals are you know if it's a company to be build better products and to understand markets better or serve customers better if it's a government is to serve its, its citizens better uh, whatever the you know institution may be, right? Right. No, you. I mean, I I agree to your point that it's not about competition, but at the same time, the ability to even like large population, if you see that lot of people, they're not e easily able to adapt to new circumstances, to new technologies, to new advances, to new services. For it's very difficult for a lot of people to cope up with the changes that are coming that way. And now with the advances, the way innovations are happening, the way technology innovations are happening, and new technologies are coming out every single day. And with the addition of you know this artificial intelligence now, the advances that will come, it will be very difficult for a lot of humans to cope up with that. And mm -hmm. as far as you know, 
the chip in the brain that is coming our way too because there are you know a lot of people who are interested in in enhancing their skill set in enhancing you know their capabilities so that is also on our way that you know humans would want to advance their capabilities not to compete with the you know artificial intelligence machines but to enhance their capabilities on their own so mm. we have to wait and see you know how those yes. advances are coming but they are coming our way and we have to be prepared for that yes. so all these advances are happening first but at the same time we do not have a foundation uh, of you know this artificial intelligence we don't have the framework we don't have the global standards global regulations or you know accountability Uh, we don't know how many people or how many companies in the world are working on artificial intelligence and this is such an important area that if people if rogue nations or if you know some bad people like we talked earlier if they are already working and they are ahead of us and they are developing some you know artificial intelligence systems that could do severe damage to humanity then who is accountable for that because we don't have a framework right now so how would we know who is working on what and what advances are happening and this is beyond uh, i mean there are no international laws and who will know who will know that okay this there are there are in right now let's there are no laws let's say in coming down the road we create some laws Mm. then who will who which will be the governing body for that who will be accountable if you know some artificial intelligence uh, companies or you know humans that are creating that they violate some laws and what is the limit of the humans control in the case of an instantaneous attack because there are so many questions that mm. there is lot of research happening there is lot of development happening lot of advances are happening as when it comes to artificial intelligence but at the same time the parallel framework that we need the venus ecosystem that we need that is not going at the same speed and that is a cause of concern mm. yes it is a cause of concern and i think it is also uh you know normally governments play catch up uh, with these things uh, so i think there has to be some kind of movement or some kind of awareness that has to be created <coughs> by concerned people and uh, i think the right level of lobby needs to grow uh, to all all governments worldwide to make them aware of what you know the coming you know threats are of this new intelligent machine age so um and I'll, i'm not too familiar with uh, any groups or any real legal or um policy uh, kind of people that are working on 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 this problem but but it certainly is going to be become more and more important that that we as we get closer to the real transition to general intelligence that we set those those policies in place uh, i mean if we don't do this if we don't govern the world would have been destroyed already by normal human beings not not machines yes. we would have destroyed ourselves if we didn't control the proliferation of nuclear uh, power or if we didn't control uh the emissions that come out of you know our vehicles we have a global effort at the moment to try and fight global warming and global climate change um 
a little bit late, I think. Uh, and again, that's that's not good. We we should have we should have had the right level of awareness of what we're doing to ourselves a long time ago and acted on it. And we can just hope that in this case where we have another potential technology that can uh, and destroy us, um, we we will act in time and we'll have the right level of uh, um, you know global action to put the right frameworks and the right uh, policies in place right, right. to manage to manage uh, the technology in it to the extent that we can control what it does and uh, and control where it goes. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. There is a lot that needs to be done. Now, as AI algorithms are designed to make high stakes decision in real time, just like any application implementing AI is not different from any other software. And for this reason, it could be affected by security vulnerabilities, just like, you know, softwares are impacted. So a cyber attack against AI system could cause serious damages due to the nature of the system. So how do we manage that? What are your thoughts on that? So a cyber attack on an AI system, uh, yeah, that I think it is it's similar to the attack on any system. Uh, but I think the amount of damage that you can do when you attack an AI system, if you know AI, and if you could change the intention of the AI system significantly, then you can, I guess, create more havoc than in a normal system. So it, it just means that we need to protect our uh, AI systems and very capable systems that are making massive decisions and are making decisions that affect uh, and, you know, human life uh, and affect uh, large infrastructure, for instance. Uh, we need to be more vigilant and how we protect those systems um, and that you know is is an ongoing area in, in as we speak is is the advancement in, in cyber security uh, and we need to we need to be cognizant of the what what are the possible damages that a attacker can do when they have access to such a system right 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 um, and apply the level, you know, the, the severity uh, versus likelihood elements of, of risk needs to be analyzed and applied properly to any system, including AI systems. Yes. Now, what are, from your uh, observation and working in this field uh, for all these years, what are the principal risks uh, that you see that are related to the robustness of systems implementing uh, AI algorithms? Um, yeah, so um, the, the level of brittleness of algorithms often contribute uh, to the robustness uh, issues. This means how general is the algorithm to handle edge cases. So we may ha have a, a, an AI system that is very, very good at understanding a certain domain, a certain uh, area of, um, you know, expertise, but um, as soon as it goes beyond that area or on the edges of that, uh, it may make wrong decisions. And of course, it's not as strong in that area. So, um, uh, in in machine learning, we we we, we can introduce brittleness uh, because of overtraining and selection bias. 
So it's very good at very small, specific, narrow areas, but in general, not good. And we may think it's all good and it can, it can make decisions about, let's say, a big uh, uh, infrastructure a, a, uh, asset, like um, a grid or you know, electricity grid. And some of the conditions change so that it's uh, outside of its focused area of, of, of uh, you know, intelligence. And then it can make wrong decisions. So uh, the the uh, especially currently in the A and I phase, uh, that is that can be an issue. Uh, hopefully, when we get into the AGI phase and SGI phase, we can have common sense in these systems that they will not make stupid mistakes uh, that you know destroy a damn wall or shut down our country's electricity grid. Right, right. No, uh, that is true. Good analysis. So the development and the adoption of AI system seems to be impossible to control due to the enormous advantage that the paradigm could bring to each and every industry across nations. So from a technology perspective, what can nations do to prevent the development of malicious AI systems? We are not talking about regulatory. We are not talking about uh, legal and you know the other you know processes that uh, we could put in place. But from technology perspective, can nations do anything to prevent the development of malicious uh, AI systems? From a technology point of view, it is um, it's going to be quite hard to do that. Um, uh, unless they can build other AI systems that, uh, you know, uh, is uh, supporting the cyber uh, effect if efforts of a uh, country that helps them to sense that some interesting technology is developing somewhere, uh, and so they could physically detect uh, capabilities of these systems and then act on that. Um, uh, so, but if it's developed in total isolation, uh, it's going to be very hard to to prevent that. Um, and in that case, we uh, we are going to find out one day this system exists, uh, and then we might have to take uh, the other side of cyber security and use cyber attack to try if they ever come online, if they ever get connected to the internet. Um, to physically attack it and take it down. And we know that governments have achieved that before. Uh, in this example was not an AI system that was attacked, but uh, the ability to develop nuclear power was negatively impacted by a, an attack from the US government on Iran. And they, they could physically uh, deteriorate their ability to develop uh, a nuclear power. So if you use the same approach, that is one option of uh, when it's there and you can, and it's online, to um, use cyber attacks. Uh, other than that, technologically, I do not know if, if a group or a entity or a nation gets access to the right technology, they have the money to acquire it and skill to develop it and they do it in isolation uh, then 
we uh, we can only uh, technically attack it when they get online. No, I, Otherwise, I, we have to get into the into the political space and into the policy space. Right, right. No, that that it that itself is a challenge, and that would have to happen. But at the same time, like in nuclear tech, uh, you know, arsenals or nuclear weapons, they they always require some kind of you know uh, chemicals or some kind of elements that would give them ability to you know make nuclear weapons similarly if there is any possibility of having a very specific unique element that artificial intelligence requires so we it could be tracked which countries it's going to and you know where you know this uh, is used so we can keep an eye on who is developing of course you know there is other way that we can create a database of uh, whoever is working in the field of artificial intelligence and make it mandatory across nations so that everyone who is working in this field have to register and get some sort of license. So that way we can keep a track yes. of who is working and what they are working on. So there are, of course, many different ways we can do that, but that is something that, you know, the right people will have to you know, start talking about. That's definitely getting into, into policy space and laws, international law to limit and to create these, you know, limitations and databases and make sure that everybody registers but a malicious entity will simply not follow those rules and you need proper governance and policing to be able to catch the ones that don't follow the rules yes, yes. Uh, so but but you know that all these you know governance challenges are are very unique that you know they work at a very slow pace. The technology advancement happens so rapidly and changes in the regulatory platform or you know policies, uh, they happen at such a slow speed. Yes. So that's where we have big gaps. So I hope they keep up with the speed of the technology and you know create some you know sensible uh, regulations and sensible governance and uh, regulatory framework so that we can manage the emerging complex security challenges brought by the uh, artificial intelligence. So let's uh, hope that, you know, they keep up uh, with the same speed as the technology is, uh, you know, advancing. Mm -hmm. But uh, now let's, you know, talk about the developers who are trying to create AI. They use widely varying approaches. There is not one specific standard approach that everyone uses. Each each one or each developer or each scientist, everyone is using separate you know, approaches. But many believe that artificial neural networks are the way forward. As things stand today, no device containing AI has successfully passed the Turing test. Do you have any knowledge of if any of the AI system has passed the Turing test? Um. Uh, yes, yeah, so a ANNs, uh, they are getting a lot of prominence, just, just to touch on the first thing you said, and um, they, have, they have seen a lot of breakthroughs that gave them a lot of coverage and uh, visibility, and we, you know, the, the term is called deep learning now, uh, with multi-layer architectures and so on. Um, so, um, there are many other techniques uh, that are being tried, you know, neural networks are quite far ahead, but there are many other symbolic approaches uh, to AI that has also uh, been under development in R&D for a long time, from the beginning. Um, so, uh, you know, 
what what we can say about the Turing test is, um, yeah, I don't think there's been a general statement that the Turing test, you know, has been passed, you know, in a scientific way. It says we've done it, it's done. The Turing test has been passed. Um, uh, but there are a lot of technologies and companies out there that that are trying now to build human human agents that interact with humans that can do uh, support and helping humans to do certain tasks. So in narrow areas, I think they've achieved uh, the level where the, the communication from the human side it feels human and it's not a uh, machine that they're working with. Uh, in, but as soon as you move just outside of that narrow domain, you find out, oh no, this this is not a human that I'm talking to now. It's, it's it hasn't got general intelligence. It's a very specific uh, system that I'm talking to. Yeah, yeah. But I think the the AGI phase will probably bring. Uh, well, there will be close correlation between when the Turing test is passed generally, and uh, the arrival of the AGR phase. That's what I think. I see. As you know, I, I, I hear you on that now. But there are many people who say that the first application, the real application that could come from uh, artificial intelligence is the application for security of cyber cyberspace, that is uh, cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. so what is, uh, and I know a lot of advances are happening in that field, but I'm not sure if uh, there is any system, AI system, that is close to you know developing uh, AI application for cybersecurity. So what what is your observation looking at the market across nations or development across nations? What is the time frame that we are looking at for the developing AI application or a system for cybersecurity? Uh, I think uh, we are already using AI in cybersecurity. Uh, we're using elements of AI today in cybersecurity. So the time frame, if you want to, you know, strictly speaking, if you say, has any AI been applied in cyber? Yes, it has been applied and it's going on today. Uh, example of those are uh, machine learning on vast amounts of network data uh, to figure out, do we have an attack, yes or no? Uh, um, that is very, very hard to do because uh, there's so many redundant and um, ambiguous net sets of net network data values that uh, we can we can get uh, we can read at any point in time. Um, uh, the area of anomaly detection is a specific uh, good application area of AI. So the idea of anomaly detection is, do we have something outside of the norm inside our network, in our systems? Uh, and uh, that doesn't say we have an attack that is happening, but uh, something is weird. Something is out of the norm. So. AI can be is, is already being applied in that area uh, using machine learning uh, to figure out to classify the state that we are in as anomalous or not. So we use a classifier uh, 
technology for that, an AI uh, technology called a classifier to do that. Uh, and the, the the next goal is, yes, this is an attack or not. So it's anomalous. We know it's different than normal, but it could be different for many reasons. You know, it could be some conditions in, uh, you know, usage and some other external factors that cause anomalies. So the question is, is this an attack? Because we need to know that. Uh, and that is yet, a, again, a, a very, very good area for, for AI to be applied, uh, where we can definitely say from the very complex state that we've seen in, in our systems that we are seeing an attack. And we, further refinements of the question is, OK, so what is the attack and where is it coming from? And that is even further areas of, of research uh, in AI. Uh, the general learnability of the threat environment is what they call this in general. Is um, Can we, in real time, process, in this case, enormous amounts of data in, in, a, in a real time to figure out, yes, this is an attack or not, who is it, what's the, what's the characteristics of the attack? Uh, and as I said, AI is being used there. It's not at the level where it is, you know, 100% accurate every single time. We still have false positives and negatives. So it's not 100% there yet, but it's going to get there. Right, right. No, yeah, I, uh, I hope uh, that those advances happen quickly so that we can secure our cyberspace. But the main task facing AI researchers at present is to create an autonomous AI device fully capable of learning, making informed decisions, and modifying its own behavioral pattern in response to external stimuli. Now, it may be possible to build highly specialized systems in the coming years, and it may also be possible to build more universal and complex AI. However, such systems will have to be based upon experience and knowledge provided by humans in the form of their input, in the form of behavioral examples, rules, or algorithms. Uh, so do we have enough knowledge about the complexity, interconnectedness, and interdependencies of cyberspace, geospace, and space to be able to provide such knowledge and input to the machine? Because at this point, it's all about what input you provide to the machine. If we don't have enough understanding about the cyberspace or about the geospace, about space and about how they are all interconnected, interdependent, and what are all those interdependencies, we won't be able to provide that input to the machine. And without our input at this point, AI systems will not be able to gather the intelligence on their own. So how, where do we go from here? I mean. How are AI developers trying to manage this complex challenge of you know providing the input when there is not much data available? Yes, well, um, it's, it's the problem is specifically uh, uh, um, expressed in areas like uh, machine vision and uh, computer vision. Uh, because our algorithms today are dependent on large amounts of data to learn uh, accurate to learn uh, uh, and to understand uh, um, 
things like images. So, uh, as an example, you know, one of the breakthroughs was in in in, in computer vision was uh, announced by Google. I think three years ago, four years ago, they could they could look at a bunch of images, and they could detect some con some object in those images that definitely there's something there. Uh, and it couldn't give it a name, but it found a cat. So, um, uh, and it took mil millions of images for the system to get that kind of understanding. Um, and so, yes, today machine learning algorithms need a lot of data. That's that confirms your point. We need a lot of data to. To learn all the intricacies and the commonalities and you know the differences between different things in uh, uh, and, you know to understand clearly what the com concepts are that we want to understand uh, and we um, our algorithms still need this huge amounts of data but uh, there is research ongoing I think I mentioned it before to try and make systems that can learn from a few examples that can very quickly crystallize a uh, a concept that um, it, it finds or pattern that it finds in very few examples now um, this this is all a it's all relative so uh, it may be that the amount of data that we generate in the future because we are also improving our senses we are improving the amount of the images that we can create from space uh, as we go. So the, uh, today already there are companies that can process those images, that can provide us those images already. They have uh, commercial satellites that can take pictures of any piece of the world at any rate that you want it. Uh, we have cameras on, on phones that take pictures every day, billions of them every day. We have drones flying around with cameras on them. So the data amount of data that we can get is growing. So, and also the computing power is growing and is, uh, you know, exponentially growing. So uh, that problem is, you know, being addressed and we are able to process all this large amounts of data better and better every day. Um, so because we are, we are creating sensors all over the world. We have every single device that's connected to the internet is a potential uh, source of data. Uh, the area of the internet of things uh, is also, you know, uh, adding to that explosion of possible uh, data sources. Now we talk about in the future where we have devices on our fridges uh, systems that control our homes that can measure everything. Wearable computing is growing. Uh, we we know of people that make uh, computing technology that's woven into your clothes and can sense everything. That can sense your heartbeat, it can sense temperature, it can sense uh, many other things that we can all collect. And so we can provide this data to these uh, systems to learn from it. So. Um, on both fronts, on the on the on the sensing of data and processing it, there's a lot of development. And on the other front of trying to get to uh, systems that can learn from very very small amounts of data, that's also developing. 
Right, right, right. No, that's uh, good information. Now, being a part of the AI community, what do you see are the immediate goals of AI community and what are the long-term goals? I'm sure one of the long-term goals is to achieve the ASI, but uh, at this point, what are the short-term goals of the AI community? Um, I think that the, the goals of the AI community are still aligned with the initial goals that I mentioned for AI uh, and also the long-term goals I think are still aligned with the same uh, same ones. Uh, uh, the short-term goals uh, just to rehash them being able to build systems that uh, can do deduction, reasoning, problem solving, uh, that systems that can represent knowledge properly uh systems that can plan like a robot that can plan a certain route through a a, a uh, building or something uh, learning how to make systems be better at learning uh, from data uh, natural language processing perception motion long and then the long-term goals still I think uh, or as I said before is to build social intelligence systems uh, to understand human beings and to understand human interactions uh, to build systems that are creative and then build systems that have common knowledge or common sense uh, and can make common sense uh, decisions uh, so yep I think those are the goals still uh, for the community today Good to know that, uh, Fritz, and uh, good information. Now, we know that uh, there are going to be regulatory and, you know, other challenges or obstacles that will come towards, you know, AI community in the development of uh, AI for cyber defense, offense, or any other system they're trying to develop. But what technical obstacles do you see the AI community or AI developers facing when it comes to, you know, development of uh, either cyber defense or cyber offense or any kind of system they're developing? Hmm. Um, this is still a very hard problem to, to crack. Uh, much of the progress is still, uh, um, you know, achieved inside labs. Uh, startups uh, like our company are, are uh, working uh, at it. Uh, government agencies with sufficient funding. The U.S. government, I know, is, is spending a lot of money uh, in building uh, stronger AI defense and offense systems. Um, so um, strong encryption makes it impossible to decode some events. That's uh, a problem. Uh, so what we can detect from information that flows over the internet uh, and how we can use that information to learn, to put it into our machine learning systems is, is hard because such a strong encryption technology um, until, of course, we have some developments in uh, quantum computing systems. I don't know if you know about the research uh, by a Canadian company called D-Wave, and it's being tested by Google currently. Uh, but if that really comes to fruition, encryption might also be under attack, uh, and we might, might have, we might have a way to get into that data. Uh, so we, we still need to do sort of proxies like metadata. We need to figure out, you know, around who is communicating to whom and at what day, day of time and at what frequency and those 
the size of the message because that we can see we can encrypt that uh, that kind of metadata is the, the thing we can work with um, when we learn about information flowing between an attacker and an attack system um, so on a regulatory front um, so uh, I think the only thing that we can do is uh, is try to get governments to come to the party and agree about uh, uh, you know how they're going to allow their own citizens to to use uh, in cyber offensive technologies against other countries and to, to build in privacy and international treaties to stem this this tide of AI applied in cyber defense and offense. Right. But on the regulatory front, that's not my area of expertise. So I can just imagine that we we need these these government agencies and governments to talk to each other. I mean, a good example is of us speaking to the Chinese government, uh, the U.S. Uh, speaking to the Chinese government about at least help us work together and set some rules there, so we don't use uh, government to attack companies. Rather, the governments are attacking each other anyway. They're spying on each other. We know that. That's been there since government started. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so um, they are spying on each other, but the idea of a government attacking other countries, companies, maybe that should be declared no-go area. Right. That's the kind of policy that that I think they need to discuss and they need to uh, put in place. Hmm. Let's uh, hope that that happens, but it's very <laughs> doubtful that those kind of you know. <laughs> <laughs> promises we can expect from the governments. Now, when it comes to investments, uh, I mean, across nations, we see that, you know, in many developed nations, uh, there are so many companies that are being formed for artificial intelligence research, development, and uh, whatnot. So what kind of investments you think are pouring? I mean, you just said that U.S. government is investing heavily mm. to AI systems and development of AI. But in the private sector, I know Google and Facebook and Amazon and uh, Baidu. They are all the, all these companies are investing heavily into AI. Yes. But uh, other than that, uh, what kind of investments are happening in AI? Yes, I think there's there's a very strong uh, theme in in the current uh, um, kind of investment portfolios. Uh, that you know, the general theme is uh, big data and analytical systems. And uh, so it's getting a lot of, a big share of the current investment activity that's happening uh, is going into that. Uh, and that, that, that counts for internal investments, big companies like, as you mentioned, uh, Google and Facebook, uh, you know, uh, even manufacturers of, of motor vehicles are also jumping on the bandwagon, big companies like GE, all of those companies are establishing internal uh, capabilities and they're investing internally to, to build these systems. Um, and as you know, all these elements of AI, you know, collectively we can call AI, so it's uh, not necessarily all of them make, doing breakthrough uh, research to, to build, to, to, to take AI to the next level, but they're all investing in their own capabilities to build things like analytic systems with machine learning, uh, computer vision, uh, both, you know, 
analyzing images and videos and also embedded vision. Uh, so a lot of the algorithms are being uh, embedded into hardware. So hardware companies are also investing money into building AI type capabilities into hardware itself because it's much more efficient if you put it into hardware. And you know, the security companies and the hardware, the chip manufacturers want to add more features to their technologies. Uh, and then uh, also in natural language processing, computing infrastructure, uh, there's a lot of investment happening there, both internally and via uh, private investment into startups and more established companies. Uh, so uh, robotics uh, gets a lot of attention as well. Uh, and Internet of Things. So Internet of Things is, is a very, it's a, it's, it's a theme created by the industry to, to sort of promote a new trend and a new you know, area. Uh, GE is a big force in driving that. Uh, Cisco is another one. Uh, but the IoT and, and AI are very closely related. Uh, as I mentioned before, machines need data to learn from. And uh, IoT is essentially establishing an, a vast sensor network over the world. Uh, so together with all the cameras and other technologies out there, we can now sense what's happening. We can sense, you know, people's, uh, 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 you know, we can sense the, the vital signs of the bodies. We can sense uh, temperatures and everything. And all of that is a very good information for uh, a by our system to learn from that. Right. Uh, and of, obviously, the, uh, I think these huge bets are going to deliver interesting developments and breakthroughs. Very interesting. And not, not even mentioning academia. Academia is a different world that is, is, is spending a lot of their, is changing a lot of their curricula and their, their research money is, is also a much bigger portion of that is going into AI research. I see, I see. No, you're, you're right, and that's uh, good information. Now, based on your understanding, I mean, uh, we know that China and Japan and Europe and USA, there are so many countries that are very actively, you know, pursuing the uh, AI developments, and they are, you know, investing heavily into that. And uh, so based on your understanding and knowledge, which nation leads in the AI development so far? I hope it's. <laughs> I would definitely say USA. USA, okay. Leading by far with China following them. Uh, <laughs> a lot of lot of the USA expertise has been has migrated to China. So as you, as you know, some of the big AI names have have joined Baidu uh, and companies like those. Uh, so it's Andrew Hing, I think, as uh, one of them that left was one of the leading players over here have, have, have joined Chinese companies. So I, I think, and again, that's an, an investment story. It's, it's uh, companies with big war chest have the money to lure top talent out of, out of USA and other places where they come from. Uh, I mean, the, the, the USA is very successful in, in attracting talent to itself. Uh, a lot of the AI research breakthroughs came from people outside of the US, in fact. Uh, like Canadians and French people, but they were in the U.S. when when that when that happened. So it was funded by, I was seen by U.S. institutions and uh, universities, 
Um, so it's still the big USA effect of, you know, it's attracting the best in the world. And now there's a trend of some of the standards moving out uh, to other countries. Uh, some of them going back to home base. Uh, I say next in line would be Canada, Europe, and India. Uh, you know, Europe is I put in general because it, it's you can split out UK and Germany in those, but I put that you know as a, as a, as a uh, the next layer is after Canada, Europe, and then India would be some leading uh, players in in AI research. But uh, you made an interesting point about the brain drain, and uh, that is. Uh, something uh, you know that we need to keep an eye on because if uh, uh, our best minds they move out of the country and if they go to other country to help in the development of AI then that is this uh, very big loss to United States and uh, yes, similarly you know whichever country we are talking about because this uh, dialogue is not uh, just for you know United States. It's about you know each and every nation, each and every industry and academia and individuals. So uh, it is a cause of concern that you know if people get training, the smartest brains that come here get the skills and then they you know uh, move out of the country. That is a cause of concern for the United States. Yes, yeah, it is a cause of concern, and I think it's also a big part of the debate that's being held at the moment about immigration policies and how easy is the United States for, for very talented people to, to come to the United States and uh, and uh, United States has, has been it's, it's been one of its big successes all the time has been able to attract the best from the world uh, and make it you know possible for them to to come here and, and do amazing things like they're doing. Uh, so, if the USA, by any means, uh, would reduce that that success story uh, or affect that success negatively by by policy, it would be really bad for for the USA, uh, especially now in a globally connected world. And in in AI, we're talking about ideas and software, and it's not hard commodities that you need for that, uh, like. What you need for a nuclear bomb, you just need the knowledge and the skills. And um, you know, software can can sit on anybody's machine at a press of a button in seconds all, all over the world. So it can distribute very easily. Uh, uh, so it's not the, the ingredients for AI is not uh, physical; it's logical, uh, and uh, it is. Um, something that that we, the USA needs to protect. It needs to keep its leadership role there strong. Yes, yes. No, you're absolutely right. And I think we sh uh, there is a lot more to discuss. This is such a broad area, and there are so many complex challenges that the industry faces, that the nations faces, that the industries faces because of the AI advances. But uh, we would like to you know conclude our session here and. Uh, uh, it seems that while the ability to create autonomous intelligence robots with perception, cognition and action able to coexist with humans can be viewed as the ultimate and most challenging goal of AI, 
It is important to understand its impact on nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, as well as individuals, because we discuss so many complex challenges coming our way. And that is the reason Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created so that we can collectively identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CTS, that is nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia, in cyberspace, geospace, and space. And we invite, you know, uh, key executives like Fred, so who have years of experience and who are right at the forefront of each of these advances that has vast knowledge and vast, you know, experience. They can share their input, they can share their uh, observations and uh, wisdom and guidance so that, you know, uh, everyone across nations and industries, they can benefit from that and they can, you know, uh, get educated and they get awareness about the complex challenges and complex advances that are coming their way. So I hope that, you know, dialogues like this, you know, uh, are making a difference across nations. And Fritz, you know, we will, I would like to say thank you to you for uh, sharing one hour of your valuable time with us and, you know, giving us such a wonderful insight into the world of AI. Uh, we appreciate that, and I'm sure our global community, our global viewers and listeners, they've benefited for, from that. So thank you so much, Fritz, for uh, joining Risk Roundup. Thanks, Jayashree, for inviting me. And uh, it was a pleasure discussing this very important topic with you. Thank you, Fritz. And I hope that as we advance and as we do more research and as there are more advances, that you will, you know, come on Risk Roundup again and uh, uh, share your thoughts uh, so that, you know, it will benefit our global community. So let's manage the existing and emerging risks together for more information on the Risk Roundups. To watch the Risk Roundup videos or to hear the Risk Roundup podcast, go to riskgroupllc.com. Uh, do not forget to share and subscribe. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup signing off. See you next time. Thank you.